Well, good morning, church. How are we feeling this morning? Come on, it's just a great day to be in God's house. Hey, I just want to, before I begin, I just want to give honor to Pastor Rob, our lead pastor, and Pastor Allen, our campus pastor, giving up the pulpit for the weekend and just giving the opportunity to uh, let uh, younger communicators uh, speak. However, I'm 34, so I think I'm right in the middle. So I'll take, I'm the cream of the Oreo, everyone. Hey, there it is, right in the best part. So uh, we get the opportunity across all campuses, different speakers. And so I'm excited to preach God's word with you. And so if you want to turn your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 10, we're going to jump right into there with verse 25, and it's going to be on the screen for you. And so on verse 25 says this, on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all your mind. And then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus replied, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And I think it's an interesting start to the passage that we're going to read throughout this morning. Because as you look at the beginning of the passage, you see an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, previously in chapter 10, uh, you see what Jesus was addressing a crowd. And what was taking place is he addressed the crowd with what he was going to teach. And then he would go to his disciples to be able to kind of explain what his teaching was. Have you ever had that moment where you're reading or you're listening to a great crowd and you kind of poke your neighbor or maybe your parents and you're like, I don't understand this. Can you explain this to me? Jesus would do that often to his disciples. He would preach an amazing word, right? And I'm sure his disciples would be high-fiving Jesus, be like, that is a great word, Jesus. What does it mean? Right? And he's, so he's teaching his disciples what he was explaining. And then as he was teaching and explaining to his disciples, I can imagine an expert of the law stood up in the crowd and be like, hey, teacher, I have this other question for you. So that's how I'm imagining it. And because when you break down the, the original Greek, expert means lawyer. And although I personally may not be a lawyer, I know some things about lawyers. Lawyers know things, and lawyers use the known things to their advantage. Now, lawyers aren't bad, but lawyers know how to use their knowledge to their advantage. And so basically, this person was trying to use his knowledge of the law to have a technicality battle with Jesus. And he goes back and forth with him. He asks him, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus then responds with two questions. What is written and how do you read it? And so he says Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. So Jesus responds with this. Hey, you've answered this correctly. Now go do it. And like a good lawyer, he justifies his answer. And he says, wait, 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 wait. but who's my neighbor? And I think it's interesting because it reveals the man's self-righteous character because he didn't get the answer he was expecting. Because prior to this, like I said, Jesus just gave him two simple words. Do this. He said, you have answered correctly, so go do this. And this is the command that is exact promise of the law. But since no person can obey the law fully, it should drive us to seek mercy. And so the man should have responded with repentance, but rather he spat out excuses and self-righteousness. Because here's what I know, and this is my first point, is knowing the answer 
and living the answer are two different things. Because this was a man that knew the law inside and out. And often I would assume that he used the law to his advantage. But I can imagine when he finally goes toe-to-toe with someone who is as, if not more knowledgeable of the law, he began to understand that Jesus didn't care about his knowledge. He cared about his heart. And so he pointed to the thing that the expert had no expertise in. It was to his heart. And so what was happening is, I imagine some friends were pushing the expert to be like, yo, you should ask Jesus a question. Hey, you should stand out. Hey, maybe if you trump Jesus, you can say, hey, maybe you can be a part of my disciple. So then I feel like he gets pushed. He's like, hey, hey, I got, teacher, I got something for you. And he asks these questions. And then all of a sudden, Jesus gives the answer. And I can see the crowd then starting to turn on the expert, right? They were encouraging him first to say it, but then all of a sudden they're like, oh man, you are getting punked by Jesus. He is getting you. He is owning you. What are you going to do? And in a Hail Mary moment, the expert's like, well, who's my neighbor? Got him. And then as we continue on, Jesus replies this way. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going by the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, he poured on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, which was a big chunk of change back then, to give them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Now, if I were the expert, I would be frustrated because I asked a question that was a very simple answer. But Jesus responds with a story. Why does Jesus do that? Why doesn't Jesus just shoot him straight? Be like, here's the answer, go do this, move on. But it's interesting because Jesus already gave him a straight answer. Jesus already gave him a simple command and the the lawyer couldn't understand the simplicity of it. So then Jesus began to talk about a story and there's something powerful about having the ability to process an answer while struggling through a conflict. Because clearly there was something happening in the lawyer's heart and Jesus was then allowing a process to take place without just giving the answer. It reminds me of uh, algebra. Now I'm bringing up bad memories talking about algebra because me and algebra, we're not besties, right? But then after a 21 day of prayer and fasting moment, I had this revelation. The books are in the back, the answers are in the back of the book. This was amazing, right? Students, when you realize that the answer was in the back of the book, I didn't have to study. I didn't have to take time. I could just, whoop, there's the answers. This is amazing. Boom, 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 boom. Homework done. Let's go outside. This was incredible. And then the test came. There was no more outdoor time because Pastor Matt did real bad on that test because I didn't know the process to take the problem to the solution. And so many times there are going to be moments when you would rather just get the solution and move on 
But there's something amazing that happens when you finally realize for yourself how you got to the solution. You learn and then you grow. Through this story, Jesus was trying to teach a lesson that it was way more valuable to the person's soul than it was to the person's knowledge. Because to establish something in someone's soul brings about a foundation that cannot be shaken. When your soul is founded and solid, out there can do whatever because your soul is full of foundation. And Jesus even mentioned this in Luke 6. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. But an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up into his heart. For where the mouth speaks, what the heart is full of. So Jesus is establishing the story of something horrible that happened to this man. Can we all agree that the story uh, was terrible? And here's the thing for me is I'm trying to emotionally attach to this story, but I don't know the backstory to this man. The man who was beaten, was he a good man? The man who was beaten, was he a bad man? Did he deserve it? Was he a family man? Was he single? Was he dating? Was he a businessman? I don't know anything about the story. All I know is he was going from Jerusalem to Jericho and then bam, he was robbed, he was beaten, and he was left half for dead. This is terrible. I mean, I'm saying this. Can you imagine if this happened in 2020? Can you imagine the headlines? Can you imagine the social media posts if this happened? Some of you are like, wait, this seems very relevant. Isn't it interesting that the Bible stays relevant all the way up to 2020? Isn't it interesting that Jesus uses a story that we can relate to now? I just find that interesting. Maybe I'm the only one. So this unfortunate situation takes place. And then Jesus states that three different people take the scene, right? A priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. And here's some fun facts about each, all three of them. The priest was a prime representative of Judaism. He offered sacrifices and thought to serve God with, with special directness, right? God and the priests were like BFFs, right? They probably had matching necklaces. They were just, they were there. And so this should have been a good candidate to help the needy. This should have been someone who quickly responded to the man who was beaten. But such an expert was not born out of practice. And that phrase is very interesting because the man was used to speaking, but not serving. The man was used to telling the people what to do, but not do it himself. And so the man that should have been qualified disqualified himself. And maybe he had good reason to. Maybe he was fearful of other robbers. Maybe if he touched him and he was dead, he would ritually be unclean. Maybe, in fact, he had this moment of asking the question, I wonder if this man was even worthy of my help. That was the priest. Now the Levite, now growing up in Sunday school, I thought the Levite was just, that was the nationality, a Levite. Like that's who it was. But actually a Levite was a second ranking figure to the temple. There was the priest and then there was the Levite. And the Levite was actually the gatekeeper or the musician. And so the Levite would be looked at not as holy as the priest, but still a man of holiness. And so many people probably like, well, if the priest didn't have time to do it, maybe the Levite would do it as well. So the fact that the Levite didn't do it, that was surprising to people too. And then he throws out a Samaritan. Now this would not have 
been much expected because the Samaritan and Jews did not like each other. Like the fact that they don't like each other is probably one of the biggest understatements of 2020. And we all know how 2020 has been going so far, right? It is a massive understatement to say that Samaritans and Jewish people do not like each other. So the fact that Jesus brought a Samaritan to the story, if people were not paying attention, they were leaned in. Jesus had him captivated then when he talked about a Samaritan. And I can only imagine the people who were listening to the story were probably trying to guess how the story was going to take place. How many of you do that with movies, right? You try to guess the scene before the scene takes place. And then when you're wrong, you're like, I never saw that coming. That was crazy. I bet people were doing that into the story that Jesus was saying. So I can imagine uh, a friend bumping and be like, hey, he's talking about a priest. So what's going to happen is the priest is going to walk by and then the priest is going to see the person beaten and he's going to come to, oh, he didn't. Well, that's awkward. Well, I bet he's got things to do. I bet he's got a Torah to read. I bet people are expecting him. He's a man of great honor. He's probably got to open the temple, get people to come to church, open the scroll. Like he's, he's an important man. We'll let him pass. Oh, Levi's coming. Oh, okay. So if the priest couldn't do it, surely the Levite's going to do it. And he went too. Wow, that's crazy. That's super uncomfortable. I thought these people were supposed to help. No. He looked at his neighbor. No way. Jesus just said a Samaritan a Samaritan helped him. He didn't just help him. He bandaged him. He put him on his own donkey. He paid for his hotel. Do you know the rates this year? Hotels are expensive and he paid for it. I never saw that coming. And that's my second point. Jesus often calls us to do things we never see coming. Think about this story Think about what we're experiencing as a state, country, and world. And how many times have we as Christians shoulda, coulda, woulda, but didn't? How many times have we prayed for God to open the door and when we heard knocking, we allowed other people to open it for us? So many times. So when was the last time if we arranged that verse as you traveled, came to a situation, and when you saw it, you took pity on him, her, or the situation? And if it's been a while, brush the dust off. Because like the expert at the beginning of the story, we know the answer. But some of us, don't do what James 1.22 says. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. And I wonder where James' brother Jesus got that, right? Verse 28, Jesus said, you have answered correctly. And he replied, do this. Do this. And so my third point is this, who are you? Because Jesus then asks an important question in verse 36. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert of the law replied, the one who has shown mercy on him. Jesus told him, right, go and do likewise. So there it is again. Very simple phrase, very simple command, super hard thing to do. Go and do. Jesus states to the experts and the crowd, this plan. And so here's the question, who are you? In this story, we see categories of people represented and responses are being presented. 
And we have to ask ourselves, not only who are we, but where do we find ourselves? Because when I read through this story and when I grew up in church and heard the story about the Good Samaritan, I always find that there was three categories that you could find yourself in, right? The priest, the Levite, and, and the Samaritan. And those were the three boxes that I as a Christian could walk into. But as I'm growing and maturing, I realize there are three different choices that we find ourselves into. The first one is the knowledgeable, then it's the religious, and then it's the broken. Where do you find yourself? The knowledgeable are people who know the truth in their head, but it has not connected to their heart. The second is the religious, the people who know the truth and have some connection to their heart, but because of potential work, effort, and inconvenience, they continue to their journey. And then there's the broken. And this one is interesting because as I've grown up with this story, I never would have put myself in the story of the man who was beaten. But isn't it interesting that this year, more people could relate to the broken. A man who was robbed, beaten, and left half dead. And that is where some of you are. This world has left you robbed, beaten, and left half for dead. Maybe this world has left you alone. Maybe this world has left you purposeless because of a a job or financial insecurity. And you begin to wonder if anyone notices you at all. And this is the amazing thing. There is someone who has noticed. And that is the greater Samaritan. Jesus is the greater Samaritan. Jesus is the only one who sees you. He's the only one who knows you. He's the only one when you isolate yourself in a dark room and feel like no one cares, loves, or is concerned of you. He is the only one that knows where you are 100%. He is the only one that loves you no matter what you just did 100%. And he is the only one that sees a future in you when the world tells you you're worthless, pointless, and out of commission, he says, no, this is not who you are. Because what he did is he does not ignore you. He bandages your wounds. He brings you to a place to heal and he paid for you by dying on the cross. And can I talk real quick about the second one with healing? That's what church needs to be, a place of healing. You know what does not need to be? An overcrowded place of healthy people. God has called us to find sick people, hurting people, broken people, and bring them in. Are churches perfect? No, because they're run by humans. But God, in his sovereignty, brings healing. And then when you get healed, you go. And you bring sick people. And you bring broken people. And you bring people that feel abandoned. And you let them know, this is the place where you heal and then go do the same. God has called us to do those things. And I love what what Paul said to the church in Rome uh, in Romans 8. He says, you see, just at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
just like the Samaritan to the Jews, we are enemies of God. Until you have a relationship with Jesus and you proclaim him Lord of your life and savior, you are on the opposite spectrum of God. It does not matter if you are a good person. It does not matter if your bank account is secure, you live in a good neighborhood, you're a great dad, you're a great mom. You don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're God's enemy. And never in a time has our world been more divided. I thank God that it's clear and that the face of the Midwestern smile is gone. Because you can be like, how are you? Good. I'm fine. My life is terrible. My wife just left me. I have zero dollars in my bank account. I'm good. I just don't want to be talked to. And then they leave and then you go back to your disparity. But now there's going to be a moment where the light of Jesus can be brought anywhere, not a building, anywhere your feet go. You get to bring that healing power because the difference between the world's enemy and Jesus is that he died for his enemies. And then the fact that he died for his enemies, when you understand who Christ was and you say, I want him to be Lord of my life, you don't stay his enemy, you become his family. And when you get to be a part of the family, it doesn't matter what your outer shell looks like, acts like, you're in. But you represent who Jesus is. And I think one thing that is very hard for some of us to hear is that we have to love people we don't agree with who are a part of the family. Can we be honest? It's easier to not like someone and ignore them for the rest of time. But when we don't agree with people, who are a part of the same family and you have to talk about things and you have to forgive people of things and then you have to respect people of things, that's a difficult thing. But you know what's amazing is that Jesus unifies that. The one thing is Jesus and that is what unifies. And so when we look at this, I find it interesting that Jesus uses the example of a Samaritan in the story because the reason is that there was another story of Jesus interacting with a Samaritan in John 4. And we know about the story of the woman of the well. And here's the biggest takeaway from this story. It's that the woman of the well and Jesus were talking about the places of worship. Well, you say this, this is that, what's greater? And Jesus responds with this, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will follow, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God in spirit and his worshipers must now worship in spirit and in truth. Church, the time is now. What he's saying is the temple doesn't bring salvation. The church building doesn't bring salvation, but the worshipers in spirit and in truth are the type of worshipers the father seeks. So as long as you are out in your day and you are in spirit and in truth and you are worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you don't have to be at this building to seek God's presence. God's presence is with you in step everywhere your feet plant. So whether that's a stay-at-home parent, whether that's that's a corporate job, whether that's a school you thought was in person, but it's now hybrid. It does not matter because in step, you are walking in spirit and in truth. So as we go, Jesus stated one last commandment, go and make disciples of all nations 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all my commandments. And surely I am with you always, even until the end of the days. Go and do. What is the unifying piece to the puzzle of this world? Jesus. What is the thing that can bring peace to turmoil? Jesus. What can make the greatest enemies into the family? Jesus. And I'm telling you what, church, Jesus needs to be the thing that comes out of our lips the easiest. Can I challenge you real quick as a pastor? Post Jesus more than anything else. Let Jesus flow through your feed over anything else. Let the gospels be your language. Let grace be your language. You want to walk step in step with the Spirit? Paul talks in Galatians 5, after the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. For such there is no law, and then you will walk in step with the Spirit. And there's a world that needs a unifying church walking in step with His Spirit with no motive except for building the kingdom of God. That's what we're here for. Go and do. But we can't go and do until we're unified. We can't go and do if we're not unified. And the one thing that brings unity, like I said earlier, is Jesus. So with every head bowed and every eyes closed, I want to ask this question. We talked about this story, but that Jesus was the greater Samaritan and that Jesus is the only thing that can unify people and that Jesus is the one thing that can bring turmoil to peace. And there may be some of you that have walked into this church thinking that life was good, thinking that things were okay. And as you've heard this story, maybe you heard this message, you said, you know what? I have been hiding for a long time. And this morning, I'm going to let Jesus bring the peace I need. And the Bible is very clear at how simple that is. It says, repent, which means turn the other way. Repent and follow Jesus. Could that mess up your plans? Sure. On paper, could that screw a few things up? Absolutely but obeying that will open up something that is far greater than this world could ever give you. And so I want to take a moment to give an opportunity for people to respond to Jesus. And if you're wondering, is this me? Am I that person? I believe that if you feel a bump on your heart or if you feel nervous, your hands get a little sweaty, I feel like Jesus is encouraging you and calling you that today is the day for salvation to come into your life. And so I'm just going to ask this moment, if any of you want to respond and say yes to Jesus, I'm just going to ask you to quickly slip your hand in the air. This is just so that I can know who I'm talking to and praying with. If you want to commit your life to Jesus, I'm just going to ask you right now, 
lift your hands up or you want to recommit. You made a prayer one time and you're saying, hey, you know what? Life has got me, but I'm recommitting my life to Jesus today. Yes, I see that hand. I'm saying yes, because if you're there and you feel like you're the only one there, yes, I see those other hands. Come on, this is amazing. If you're still worried, if you're still wondering, am I the only one? You are not the only one. Jesus is calling you by name today. Amazing. You can put your hands down. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pray a prayer together because these people are committing their lives to Jesus and now are being a part of this family. And so we're going to do this thing as a family together. So I'm asking all of us would just repeat this simple prayer. Say, Dear Jesus, I ask you into my heart. I believe that you died and rose again three days later. Help me to obey all your commandments. And Holy Spirit, walk in step with me today. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, as we stand, can we give it up for those people who made that commitment? Come on, church, can we go a little bit more than that? These are people that have committed their lives. I love it. And hey, one last thing. I want to call the prayer teams up, but I want to pray one more thing for each and every one of you. And so as the prayer teams are coming up, here's my one plug for prayer teams. These are not people that are here to pray for scared people or for bad people. These are people who are committed to encourage people as they're going about their mission. So if you need prayer for anything, please see a prayer team member. But my last thing is this. I want to pray for all of us for unity. As we leave this place, we are going to be a unified church that is under the one name, and that is Jesus. So would you lift your hands with me? I would do a more COVID, anti-COVID friendly thing, but we got to do this. So we would hold hands, but we're going to lift hands, right? Because that's what it's about. And so would you pray this? I'm going to pray a prayer over you. And then once I say amen, that's it. But Jesus, we come to you. And God, you are the name that is above all names. There's nothing else that is stronger, more superior, more adequate than your name. It is the name that is above all names. So God, as we leave church this morning, help us to be unified under the mission to go and do. God, we want you. We need you. We're desperate for you. So use us today. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for coming to church. We'll see you next week.